Biological science has become so clinical, so translational to medicine, that it's rare for studies to come out that truly get me excited about the progress we're making. As far as fundamental discovery and testing of theory, the funding process is much more difficult. This is evident in how our grant applications depend so much on significant statements. How is the proposed study going to advance clinical knowledge and technical applications? Often the answer, if what we are proposing is actually interesting, will be something hand-waving. So let's say I'm proposing to study consciousness by disrupting hubs of information transfer in the cerebral cortex of rodents. God forbid the study be an attempt to break through on the most critical and mysterious problem humanity has ever faced. Instead, the committee wants to hear about how the results could be applied. Is this study going to lead directly to new treatments for disease or new device patents? So I'll have to talk about the potential application to narcolepsy or recovery from coma or something. I'll start with some statistic. Accidents during sleepwalking account for over a thousand injuries every year. This kind of thing feels so phony to me. This isn't what I'm working on, and that isn't the reason I'm doing so. I'm an explorer, searching for clues to solve the universe's most vexing puzzle. Did Christopher Columbus have to present a significant statement to the royals in Portugal in order to secure funding for his voyage? Each year, as many as 30 Portuguese sailors throw themselves overboard because the trip to China is so long and unbearable. A new western route could help reduce the devastating effects of Interminable Navigation to China Syndrome, or INCS. I'm going to tell you about a study that breaks the usual mold. It was published in the journal Neuron, and it's titled, In Vitro Neurons Learn and Exhibit Sentience When Embodied in a Simulated Game World, by Brett Kagan and colleagues. This just came out in October. Let's go through it together. I've just been reading it over. In the introduction, the authors write, quote, Harnessing the computational power of living neurons to create synthetic biological intelligence previously confined to the realm of science fiction may now be within reach of human innovation. The superiority of biological computation has been widely theorized with attempts to develop biomimetic hardware supporting neuromorphic computing. Yet no artificial system outside biological neurons is capable of supporting at least third-order complexity, able to represent three state variables, which is necessary to recreate the complexity of a biological neuronal network. While significant progress has been made in mapping in vivo neural computation, there are technical limits to exploring this in vitro. Here, we aim to establish functional in vitro biological neuronal networks from embryonic rodent and human-induced pluripotent stem cells on high-density microelectrode arrays to demonstrate that these neural cultures can exhibit biological intelligence, as evidenced by learning in a simulated gameplay environment to alter activity in an otherwise arbitrary manner, in real time. It is proposed that these neural cultures would meet the formal definition of sentience as being responsive to sensory impressions through adaptive internal processes." Unquote. All right, first things first. The paper is published in the journal Neuron. This is a major journal, one of the most respected and important journals in the neurosciences. What they appear to have done here is impressive. They have cultured embryonically sourced cells, which have subsequently differentiated into cortical neurons and developed complex interconnections. When I was a graduate student, our lab did this too. 
we were studying genetic epilepsy syndromes, and some of my colleagues were able to use fibroblast cells collected from living patients to make induced pluripotent stem cells and then develop them into cultured neurons. But here, in the present study, they have grown the neurons on top of a high-density microelectrode array. I've used similar devices as probes implanted in the mature brain. In that case, I was measuring activity in the vicinity of these microelectrodes. I was not stimulating the brain, just recording. To embed this network of cells in a game world, they must be stimulating at specific points within the array as they re record the activity of the neurons. Then subsequent stimulations must be altered according to what they record. In other words, there has to be feedback between the electrode array and the cultured cells in order for this experiment to make any sense. We might be a bit disappointed by the author's use of the term sentience, as it's clear that they're not referring to some kind of uh, subjective experience or consciousness. They're talking about a kind of intelligent behavior. They aren't going to show consciousness, and there's no way that they could. But if they've done what they said in the introduction, then we have reason to be enthusiastic. Let's move forward. They wrote... Quote, given the compatibility of hardware and cells, wetware, it is necessary to investigate what processes would result in intelligent, goal-directed behavior when biological neuronal networks are embodied through a closed-loop system. Two interrelated processes are required for sentient behavior in an intelligent system. Firstly, the system must learn how external states influence internal states via perception and how internal states influence external states via action. Secondly, the system must infer from its sensory states when it should adopt a particular activity and how its actions will influence the environment. To address the first imperative, custom software drivers were developed to create low-latency, closed-loop feedback systems that simulated exchange within an environment for biological neuronal networks through electrical stimulation. Closed-loop systems afford an in vitro culture embodiment by providing feedback on the causal effect of the behavior from the cell culture. Embodiment requires a separation of internal versus external states where feedback of the effect of an action on a given environment is available. Previous works, both in vitro and in silico, have shown that electrophysiological closed-loop feedback systems engender significant network plasticity. Further support is found in vivo by disrupting the closed-loop coupling between visual feedback and motor outputs in the primary visual cortex of mice, highlighting the link between feedback and the development of functional behavior in biological neuronal networks." Unquote. Okay, the authors define sentience as having two necessary components. I'll re reiterate them here. First, the system must learn how external states influence internal states via perception and how internal states influence external states via action. Second, the system must infer from its sensory states when it should adopt a particular activity and how its actions will influence the environment. To point it out again, neither of these components says anything about subjective experience. The paragraph I shared addresses the first imperative, Here's what they have to say about the second. Kagan et al. write, quote, One proposition for how intelligent behavior may arise in an intelligent system embodied in an environment is the theory of active interference via the free energy principle. 
The free energy principle suggests a testable implication that at every spatiotemporal scale, any self-organizing system separate from its environment seeks to minimize its variational free energy. The gap between the model's predictions and observed sensations may be minimized in two ways, by optimizing probabilistic beliefs about the environment to make predictions more like sensations, or by acting upon the environment to make sensations conform to its predictions. This model then implies a common objective function for action and perception that scores the fit between an internal model and the external environment. Under this theory, biological neuronal networks hold beliefs about the state of the world where learning involves updating these beliefs to minimize their variational free energy or actively change the world to make it less surprising. If true, this implies that it should be possible to shape biological neuronal network behavior by simply presenting unpredictable feedback following incorrect behavior. Theoretically, biological neuronal networks should adopt actions that avoid the states that result in unpredictable input. By developing a system that allows for neural cultures to be embodied in a simulated game world, we are not only able to test whether these cells are capable of engaging in goal-directed learning in a dynamic environment, but we are also able to investigate the foundations of intelligence." Unquote. Wow. Okay, that's a major prediction. And if it works, it's worthy of a paper in Neuron. The authors tell us about the free energy principle. This has to do with the network of cells having an implicit expectation or model of the expected feedback. So according to this hypothesis, the network will adapt its activity to form a match with the signals it is getting in the form of feedback stimulation. The authors suggest that the cultured network should act to avoid unpredictable or incorrect feedback. This means that they have an implicit goal or set of inbuilt preferences. It seems to me that if this is true, the network can be conditioned to do whatever you want it to do based upon whether the stimulation you provide it fits its model or not. I have not read ahead, but I know they used a Pong game in this study, so I guess they must be conditioning or training the network to act such that the outputs it provides controls the paddle to move up or down or remain in place at the correct times. What surprises me the most is its free energy concept because it could be the missing link between neurons in the brain and evolved values. Maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Let's read. Quote, to test the predictions of the free energy principle using selected parameters, cortical cells were compared with media-only controls. Rest sessions where active cultures controlled the paddle but received no sensory information and in silico controls that mimicked all aspects of the gameplay except the paddles were driven by random noise over 399 test sessions. The average rally length showed a significant interaction between group and time. Only the mouse cortical cell and human cortical cell cultures showed evidence of learning with significantly increased rally lengths over time. Further, it was found that during gameplay in time point one, key significant differences were observed. The human cortical cell group performed significantly worse than mouse cortical cell, control, and in silico groups. This suggests that human cortical cells perform worse than controls when first embodied in an environment, suggesting an initial maladaptive control of the paddle or perhaps an exploratory behavior. Notably, at time point two, this trend was reversed. The mouse cortical cell and human cortical cell groups significantly outperformed all control groups along with human cortical cells showing a slight but significant outperformance 
over the mouse cortical cell group. This data demonstrates a significant learning effect in both experimental groups, absent in the control groups, along with evidence that the learning capabilities differ between mice and human cells in line with previous results." Unquote. God damn. I'd have to see this repeated in other labs or using other human stem cells in comparison to rodent cells or other mammalian-derived neurons in order to be really convinced, but this implies an adaptation in developing human neurons toward greater flexibility and ultimately higher intelligence at the expense of quick development and efficiency. It never really occurred to me that neurons in the human cortex might differ like this from those in other animals. I assumed that the higher number of neurons and the larger size of the cortex fully accounts for our superior cognitive abilities. The Pong thing is a cute gimmick, but the researchers could have used anything. The key is to give favorable feedback or unfavorable feedback on an ongoing basis in order to train the network to give you what you want. After a lot of trials, the activity gets better. Learning mechanisms are at work. The Pong game sure as hell makes their point, though. Next, I'd like to see them face off cultures in a two-player arrangement, mouse versus rat, rat versus monkey, monkey versus human, human versus dolphin. Let the games begin. How does this closed loop system actually work? Well, the authors describe it like this, quote, the dish brain system was developed to leverage neuronal computation and interact with neurons embodied in a simulated environment. The dish brain environment is a low latency real-time system that interacts with the vendor Max1 software, allowing it to be used in ways that extend its original functions. This system can record electrical activity in a neuronal culture and provide sensory, non-invasive electrical stimulation comparably to the generation of action potentials by activity in the neuronal network. Using the coding schemes described in STAR methods, external electrical stimulations convey a range of information. For our purposes, we opted for three distinct information categories, predictable, random, and sensory. DishBrain was designed to integrate these functions to read information from and write sensory data to a neural culture in a closed loop system so neural action influences future incoming sensory stimulation in real time. The intent was to embody biological neuronal networks in a virtual environment and to quantify demonstrable learning effects." Unquote. Well, it looks as though they have achieved learning effects. They have three different simulations which they call predictable, random, and sensory. It really is remarkable that these are sufficient to teach a cluster of neurons that are arranged more or less randomly. This result tells us that cortical neurons have innate intelligent capabilities. I think this has the potential to change the game with respect to how we think about networks of neurons. Maybe they're more flexible than we give them credit for. Essentially, any group of neurons that connect up to one another will adjust their behaviors to make use of stimulation and do work. It would be interesting to know if these cultured networks would prune away certain synapses and develop others over time, effectively self-engineering to adapt to the stimulations being received. Moreover, how would this go if a slice of cortex was used instead of a culture from stem cells? The cortical slice should be much more intelligent because it is set up in its evolved arrangement. Whether in mouse or in man, the cortex is arranged in six layers with specific cell types occurring in their own lamina. Imagine if this full cortical structure with its six layers of neurons were cultured as done in this study with sensory inputs given as electrical stimulations and outputs taken exclusively from the appropriate layers. 
The resulting behavior in a problem-solving gaming environment such as Pong could be compared to the random cortical neuron cultures we've been reading about. I predict that the cortical slice would be much more capable of learning and doing impressive things. I'm already impressed by what the cortical neurons in this study were able to do without the natural arrangement. Consider that misarranged neurons lead to severe cognitive disability in human beings. Clearly, the anatomical layout of the network is critical to its usual functioning. The following is from a review paper called Disorders of Neurogenesis and Cortical Development by Fabrizia Guarnieri et al., 2018. Quote, the cerebral cortex is a laminar structure in which neurons are spatially organized in horizontal layers and vertical columns that reflect a highly precise map of connectivity. The formation of such a defined structure is achieved through a coordinated and tightly regulated orchestration of neurogenesis, neuronal migration, and neuronal wiring. In particular, the neocortex, the phylogenetically newest portion of the cortex, evolved for executing higher brain functions, is composed of six layers of defined excitatory and inhibitory neuronal subtypes. Excitatory pyramidal neurons are generated from radioglial cells, cortical progenitor cells that constitute the wall of the lateral ventricle. At the onset of neurogenesis, these cells start to divide asymmetrically and generate either one postmitotic neuron or one intermediate progenitor cell, which further divide in the subventricular zone to generate two postmitotic neurons. Newly born neurons radially migrate along the radioglia scaffold towards the pile surface, thus populating the cortical plate and constituting the different layers in an inside-out progression from the deeper to more superficial ones. While migrating, neurons undergo specific morphological changes. Newborn bipolar neurons rapidly move from the ventricular to the subventricular zone, acquire a multipolar morphology, and pause, then retrogradely migrate toward the ventricle before becoming bipolar again and moving to their final destination in the cortical plate. Once in the correct position, pyramidal neurons start to differentiate, extending axons and dendrites whose growth, branching, and pathfinding are strictly directed by a complex set of chemoattractant and chemorepellent molecules. In contrast to excitatory neurons, inhibitory neurons populating the cortex follow a different developmental route as they originate in subcortical regions and subsequently migrate tangentially to reach the neocortex. A tangential to radial migration switch then allows interneurons to position in the appropriate cortical layers in a subtype-specific way. Aberrations at each of these steps due to genetic alterations and or environmental insults are at the basis of a diverse pathological conditions. Macroscopic alterations in brain structure due to defective or excessive neurogenesis, neuronal migration or differentiation are recognized in the so-called malformations of cortical development a heterogeneous group of disorders with variable severity, usually associated with cognitive impairment and drug-resistant epilepsy. Still, subtler alterations in neuronal layering, particularly of inhibitory interneurons, and connectivity of specific circuits may be the basis of epilepsy and neuropsychiatric disorders such as autism and schizophrenia." Unquote. A simple mixed culture of cortical neurons is not even malformed. It is essentially random. There's been no process of appropriate cell migration and differentiation at all. The cells are just growing where they land and spreading their processes out in whichever direction, unguided and undirected. Yet clearly, they can get together and do some work, as we have seen.
Here is one final passage from the discussion section of the study we've been going over. Kagan et al. write, quote, Here we present the dish brain system, a system capable of embodying biological neuronal networks from various sources in a virtual environment and measuring their responses to stimuli in real time. The ability of neurons, especially in assemblies, to respond to external stimuli adaptively is well established in vivo as it forms the basis for all animal learning. However, this work is the first to establish this fundamental behavior in vitro for a goal-directed behavior. We were able to use this silico-biological system to investigate the fundamentals of biological neuronal computation. In brief, we introduced the first synthetic biological intelligence device to demonstrate adaptive behavior in real time. The system itself offers opportunities to expand upon previous in silico models of neural behavior, such as where models of hippocampal and enorhinal cells were tested in solving spatial and non-spatial problems. Minor variations on the dish brain platform, selected cell types, drug administration, and feedback conditions would enable an in vitro test to garner data on how cells process and compute information that was previously unattainable. Most significantly, this work presents a substantial technical advancement in creating closed-loop environments for biological neuronal networks. We have emphasized the requirement for embodiment in neural systems for goal-directed learning to occur. This is seen in the relative performance over experiments where denser information and more diverse feedback impacted performance. Likewise, when no feedback was provided, yet information on ball position was available, cultures showed significantly poorer performance and no learning. Of particular interest was the finding that when stimulatory feedback was removed and replaced with silent feedback, as a transient removal of all stimuli, cultures were still able to outperform those with no feedback as in the open loop condition, albeit to a lesser extent. One interpretation is that playing Pong generates more predictable outcomes than not playing Pong by reducing uncertainty. Note that a miss results in unpredictable outcomes because the ball resets and its subsequent motion is unpredictable. In terms of the informational entropy of the stimulus being delivered, while an unpredictable stimulus would have high entropy, the silent con condition still entails higher entropy relative to successful play as the ball restarts in a random direction. This is consistent with our results, as the more unpredictable an outcome, the greater the observed learning effect, as the biological neuronal network learns to avoid uncertainty." Unquote. This study is a breath of fresh air in a literature that often lacks imagination. It amounts to an in vitro test of the free energy principle. If networks of neurons have the implicit goal of avoiding uncertainty, then there is a fundamental value at the base of how they work. They have an innate preference for predictable inputs. If this is true, I want to know the mechanism. It's not consciousness in a dish, at least I don't think it is, but it's definitely something cool, relevant to understanding how the brain works, and that's a pretty good start. This paper might wind up being a real classic, breaking new ground and opening up a new area of development, not unlike Pong when it opened up in the world of home video games in 1975.